So today we're going to kind of break down and analyze, and I'm excited to have somebody else do this uh, with me today. Uh, I I wasn't even sure what to think last night. I actually didn't get to bed till about three o'clock in the morning because I was just like, I don't know what to think. I don't know how to even, I don't know where to even begin. Uh, so having a a, a a great friend of the left here, or uh, of course a member of the left here with me to kind of think about what this means um, for our movements and some of the election results last night. Um, a lot of dark money, a lot of redistricting happened in New York. I mean, we had incumbents running against each other. I mean, we had, it was just a lot going on. Um, John Tarleton is from the Independent. Uh, I'm sure most of you know the Independent, but if you don't, and for, for some of my listeners who are from out of New York uh, State, it's a volunteer uh, paper, newspaper here that really kind of just tells it like it is. And, you know, there's not much out there, not much more like that out there these days. Uh, it's been around for close to 20 years. And John and Tarleton is the current edit- editor there at the Indy. Um, I've been very honored to to be to have some of my work, some of my movement work, organizations that I've worked with. Um, featured in the indie, so it's 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 exciting uh, to to be able to talk to John today. John, welcome to what's going on with Linda Sarsour. Hi, Linda. It's great to be here with you and all your listeners. Appreciate that. I mean, John, I don't even know where to start. You know, uh, from my kind of where I'm from my vantage point, you know, we won some and we lost some, uh, and 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 there is there were some incredible wins here in New York, um, you know, last night, including Kristen Gonzalez, mm-hmm. who's going to the state legislator. I was really excited um, about her. You know, this is, uh, you know, one of those ki- one of those kind of insurgent candidates who people would say, listen, great campaign, perfect politics, you know, centering the most marginalized folks, really hard hitting on a lot of the issues impacting New Yorkers, including housing, um, immigration, uh, you know, transportation, you name it. I mean, she was on it. And I don't know if a lot of people believe that not only she could she win, the question also was how how much could she win? Was she going to just, if she won, would she win by the skin of her teeth? And she actually crushed it. Yes, uh, she did. And, and so that was, for me, a big highlight of, uh, of yesterday here in the New York City area. Absolutely. Uh, Kristen Gonzalez uh, winning by just over 25 points over Eliz- uh, Elizabeth Crowley, the first cousin of Joe Crowley, who famously lost to AOC in a Democratic primary in 2018. Uh, Crowley, uh, Liz Crowley. Uh, former two-term city council member out in central Queens. Uh, she uh, lost to her seat to a Republican a few years ago, ran mm-hmm. a couple of times for, for Queensboro president and lost on both occasions and then came back for this race. And she had an absolute gusher of, of this, uh, you know, uh, dark money behind her, the, the, the real estate, uh, uh barons that, that, that finance these groups and she had a ton of in, of endorsements uh you know from all sorts of uh um mm-hmm. actors and, and and I'll talk about it more in a minute almost, mm-hmm. almost all the labor unions not only the more conservative uh, labor unions but uh, other uh unions that can will fluctuate in kind of the kind of candidates they support and they I guess they all thought Crowley was the horse to bet on um mm-hmm. but the thing is 
that district that uh, Kristen is running in uh, has many of the strongholds uh, of the uh, uh, left here in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that district, uh, Senate District 59, covers Astoria, Long Island City, Greenpoint, uh, Williamsburg, and, and mm-hmm. then has a, a little chunk of uh, the east side of Manhattan in the in the east 20s and, and 30s. Uh, and, and, I mean, this is a district that has elected uh, uh, AOC, uh, uh, Tiffany Caban to city council, Zoran Mamdani uh, to the state assembly, mm-hmm. also Emily Gallagher over yep. at uh, Greenpoint, uh, all uh, uh, Democratic socialists. Uh, uh, Forrest uh, Front Forrest now represents a part of that district as mm-hmm. well in the assembly. Uh, so uh, this is really a, a stronghold of democratic socialism over there. And um, I was, I was, there was still a lot of concern because uh, uh, of how the Manhattan side of that district might perform. Uh, that was a situation where uh, Gerald Nadler and Carolyn Maloney had a mm-hmm. primary going on that, mm-hmm. that was happening in Kristen, in, in uh, in Kristen's district over in Manhattan. And, and there was a lot of concern that there would be a massive turnout over there and the kind of people and the kind of voters who might uh, care deeply about Nadler and Maloney uh, might um, be more amenable to sort of a, a very conventional uh, Democrat like Crowley that mm-hmm. was spending a ton of money, but it, it didn't turn out that way. Um, uh, uh, Kristen uh, narrowly trailed um uh, Crowley in Manhattan, and she won the Brooklyn part of her district by over five to one uh, vote margin, and she carried the Queens part of the district uh, by over uh, two to one margin. And uh, you know, kudos to her in her campaign. I, I, you know, I followed her on the campaign trail a little bit. I mean, she worked so hard, and 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 her, her volunteer her volunteers, the DSA folks, and also. Uh, all uh, so many other groups uh, consolidated around her campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Working Families Party, Make the Road New York, uh, a whole bunch of groups, uh, a lot you know, electeds over there, and not just the the DSA electeds. Uh, uh, Michael uh, uh, Giannaris, the state mm-hmm. senator over there, uh, uh, supported her, and um, so I, I think one thing we can take away from that is uh, the the power we have when our forces uh, unify. That's right. Because she she's uh, at about fifty eight percent of the vote, and in all these races, there's still going to be a, a trickle of um, uh, mail in ballots that will uh, come in over the next few days and be counted next week, as well as affidavit ballots for uh, voters whose credentials uh, were uncertain at the polling mm-hmm. place. But she's going to end up around fifty eight percent, and That's and right. that is almost the same vote total that the three progressive candidates in New York ten obtained. John, don't take me there yet because okay. I'm, don't take me there yet, John. Lord have mercy. That's another one I don't know, and I'm going to think about that one in a second. But let me get back to yeah, just to Kristen finish for a sec- for a second. Uh, um, yeah, it's historic. I mean, uh, it, it was incredible. I mean, it was really one of those races that you know really lifted my spirits to see a young woman of color. And as you said, John, you know, this is a woman that really hustled. You know, she she knocked doors, she met the neighbors, she. She did what she needed to do and she did everything that she could um, to win, even though she knew she was going up against, you know, big money. And, you know, she, she, when, she, when she came out in her kind of um, uh, kind of victory speech, she, she, she's, of course, supported by the Democratic Socialists of America. But she came and said that, listen, New York, you know, 
is electing socialists. She didn't say democratic socialists. I mean, she, she, she's, she's using the terminology socialism. And I want to just say shout out to my Brooklyn people. Cause you made me proud. You know, you know, John, I'm from Brooklyn. So I always got to yes. shout out my Brooklyn people five to one. That's a, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a, 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 a vote, a voter block right there in that particular uh, race. And yeah, and you said this, I mean, just to think about, I mean, it, it really brings me a lot of joy to think about that kind of crew right there that you mentioned, you know, the Tiffany Cabans, the, you know, and Tiffany Caban, and you remember with, uh, of course, the, the Queens part of that district. I mean, that's the part of the district that helped Tiffany Caban almost beat Melinda Katz. I mean, nobody believed in Tiffany Caban when she first kind of came out and said, listen, I'm going to be the district attorney of Queens. Um, of, of course, mm-hmm. she ended up you know, unfortunately losing that race, but it was, it was, it, it shocked the entire establishment. I um, mean, I think she shocked the establishment beyond just New York city. And you already know, I mean, Zuharan Memdani is like my heart of New York politics. I mean, he gives me so much hope about what the progressive left um, can accomplish. Uh, yeah, especially- he, he's amazing. And anybody who's not uh, following what Zoran's doing uh, should tune in. He is just uh, a remarkable assembly member remarkable assembly member, you know, a young Muslim American from our community. I mean, we love Zuhran very much. And and before I get to New York, you know, uh, 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 every time I think of Zuhran, I think of Jabari. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Jabari was an incumbent and there was a, you know, a, a candidate running against him that was actually endorsed by uh, Mayor Eric Adams. And, you know, yesterday wasn't a, a good night for Eric Adams, nor was it a good night for um, Espeat out in the Bronx. But mm-hmm. I'm really proud of Brooklyn, you know, helping me and us and all of us keep Jabari in. And Jabari was another great race because he he won big. You know, he he, he crushed his race and another young person of color who is pretty unapologetic about his politics. And I think that's what gives me hope for the progressive left that we got to keep some of our most vocal uh, and most unapologetic um, supporters of our movement politics and policies uh, that are centered, have been centered by the political left. So congratulations to my friend uh, Jabari. And the reason why I told you don't take me to New York 10 yet uh, John is because that's a whole other race where I think I'm gonna be a bit more critical of progressives and want to get a, an analyzed a little bit more because I think we've had the same situation happen before. But I also want to congratulate talking about dark money. I wanted to also congratulate Senator Gustavo Rivero out in the mm-hmm. Bronx. I mean, that's that was another one, John. I mean, what what in the hell were people thinking? I mean, why isn't it that we are supporting people based on their record and their work? And, and Gustavo is a champion and he's a champion on issues of policing, issues of housing. I mean, he's a champion on issues of immigration and immigrant rights, you know, women's reproductive rights. I mean, I can't really remember a time and there may have been a vote here or there because I'm not going to say that I'm following Gustavo on a, mm-hmm. like a daily basis. There might have been, you know, somebody could find a vote somewhere where I might have not agreed with Gustavo on but overall, on, on the kind of the highlight major issues that I think the progressive left, um, you know, supports or, or, or advocates for, Gustavo, you know, even, on, even for folks who wouldn't consider themselves on the left, you know, more kind of progressive Democrats. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gustavo works and he's a champion and, and he carries a lot of pieces of le- progressive legislation. And he really was up. He was actually really in the fight for his life. And yes, it was, was. Really, you know, and with the support, you know, Adrian Espayat, as you know, you know, put his 
backing and some other Bronx lawmakers and um, kind of, you know, uh, put their kind of, as you said, they betted on um, a challenger to Gustavo. And, you know, and I'm just like, listen, don't we? And and even some of these packs, like, can you go challenge, save your money for November and challenge some Republicans around the state? Like, why? I was just really, you know, just it was just a lot for me to think about the chance that there would be that Gustavo could lose that race. But again, congratulations, because dark money works sometimes, John, but it don't work all the time. No, it doesn't. And, and it felt like last night, maybe we saw kind of the the limits of what uh, dark money can accomplish because they poured it on this time. Uh, not only the, mm-hmm. the quantity of money they spent, but the 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 lurid and, and wildly dishonest uh, charges they threw at a lot of candidates. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it it only had uh, limited success last night. You know, it still makes an impact, but it's good to see. Uh, it, it seems that that high tide of uh, uh, dark money uh, seemed to sort of crest in uh, its effectiveness last night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, you, you probably know this, John, I live in New York um, 11. Um, so mm-hmm. that's kind of a slither of, of Brooklyn, or maybe now it's a little more than a slither. Um, and of course, the entire borough of Staten Island. And, you know, Staten Island, just want people to know, um, it, you know, it's moving on up. I mean, I think the demographics <laughs> are changing here in, in Staten Island, but we're not there yet. Uh, no. and, and, you know, I... Um, have been invested in, in this district for a long time. We've had some, you know, great wins, especially on the Brooklyn side. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had, uh, you know, of course we've the, on the congressional side, we've won the seat back a few times um, over the course of the last, you know, maybe couple of election cycles, but it's like a ping pong because unfortunately the Democrats that end up slithering out of these um primaries are always uh, or even get to or even win as we saw with you know max rose before and and mm-hmm. before and before him michael mcmahon i mean these are democrats that end up voting republican sometimes end up you know doing you know very <laughs> uh questionable things like standing with donald trump uh and you know and so you know max rose lost that seat last time around you know and then he you know came back but I will say that I was really inspired by the campaign that Brittany DeBarros ran. Uh, for folks who don't know, Brittany DeBarros is an anti-war activist. She's a, um, an army veteran, a member of the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, did a lot of has done a lot of great organizing. A true progressive through and through. Uh, you know, Latina. I mean, she's an incredible uh, human being. And you know, she took a she took a sacrifice for for to test out the political left um, in a congressional race. And, you know, of course, you know, unfortunately she didn't make it. Uh, no, because... she lost uh, decisively. Yes, I, she did. I, I think that, I mean, I think that was a situation where uh, not only did uh, Max Rose, uh, ha- you know, uh, vastly uh, outspend her in that race, uh, but also I, I suspect that a lot of the primary voters in that race uh made the the more um a pragmatic calculation that someone like Max who had won the seat once before and runs you know more to the center as it were uh would be the more effective uh general election candidate in a district that I think voted for Trump by like something like 9 or 10 points mm-hmm. and uh and this is unfortunate we see this in uh, other races uh here in New York and elsewhere uh in in swing districts where the voters may think highly of a, of a candidate from the left, 
but they're so convinced that uh, a, a left candidate cannot beat a conservative uh, candidate and, and they uh, hedge their bets and, and go with these uh, lackluster, uh, uninspiring centrist candidates. And uh, I think that's where we, at least part of what we saw last night in that district, though, again, Max uh, had the name recognition and, and uh, a huge uh, war chest of money as, as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so it now it's going to be Max uh, versus Nicole Maliotakis. The Lord Republican. have mercy. I, I can't even believe that I have to. I go around the country organizing and I work on other progressive campaigns, John. And I'm so ashamed when people ask me, who's your member of Congress? <laughs> and I have to tell them that my member of Congress is the only Republican in the New York City delegation. And it just it just it just puts me to shame every time. But, you know, I think, you know, for me, John, um, the Britneys of the world are still really important because it allows us to continue to build upon the movements that we have um, seen emerge here out of Staten Island. I think, you know, Staten Island on the North Shore, Mm -hmm. there are many, um, you know, Arab uh, American voters that were on the Brooklyn side who, of course, can't afford to live in Brooklyn anymore. So they're kind of going over the bridge, buying homes out here uh, in the Staten Island area. We're seeing kind of a, a, a growing kind of demographics of people of color. And so, you know, I, I think that there's still potential. I believe in Staten Island. And in mm-hmm. order for us to continue building this movement, we're going to need more people like, you know, Brittany. And, you know, Brittany knew that this was an uphill battle and it wasn't just an uphill. Like it was I don't know if uphill battle is even the way to describe it. I mean, it was, you know. It, it was going to be almost, you know, it would have been magic. It would have been something out of, you know, I don't know. Uh, it would have been a bigger win than any other kind of historic win we thought. I mean, I think if Brittany DeBarros was able to win this primary, it would have been a bigger shock than what, watching AOC beat Joe Crowley. Like, I think it would have been, people would have been like, what is going on here? And, you know, and so I, I, I say to Brittany and I say all those who supported Brittany here in New York City and all those who supported her from around the country because she had a lot of support from movement leaders and activists across the country, that what Brittany did was important. Um, and it was part of the building blocks um, that we're going to continue to build upon here um, on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, to your point, you know, pragmatic politics is sometimes extremely detrimental to us on the left. And we've saw this in national politics. We've seen this on the presidential level mm-hmm. when Democrats go with somebody like Joe Biden because they think Joe Biden can beat Trump. And, you know, someone like, for example, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren can't. And so it, it makes me sad that we still have people who are our neighbors, um, you know, that are willing to choose pragmatism over principles and values and actually what their heart tells them is the right thing to do. Just vote your heart. We might not be in the situation. So, yes, yeah, so I, I, of course, I was a little sad about Brittany, but uh, but it was one that I was, of course, expecting. Um, and so, you know, I mean, John- maybe she runs again in the future for a down ballot race, uh, maybe where she could gain more uh, traction I mean, absolutely because i do I think-, think we have a situation uh, where uh, you know aoc won that shocking victory in 2018 coming out of no- nowhere and then we had candidates uh, like cory bush and J- jamal bowman who kind of repeated that um uh this sort of model of the sort of the the the, the citizen candidate running uh, boldly from the left and, and knocking off uh, entrenched incumbents that happened in 2018 and, mm-hmm. and 2020. I, I don't know if that is uh, uh, working anymore. I mean, we mm-hmm. uh, Jessica Cisneros narrowly lost in Texas after t- uh, two runs against Henry Cuellar. It's hard to do to make that leap uh, from 
a relative anonymity all the way to Congress, especially when you're running uh, from the left. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're, uh, a, a, you know, a multimillionaire like, uh, our guy in, uh, NY10, it's a, it's a different story. And, uh, cause the, the left candidates that did break through and make it to Congress this year, like Summer Lee in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, Greg, uh, Kassar down in Austin, uh, they'd previously held, uh, uh, lower offices. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Summer Lee uh, was a, a really dynamic state assembly woman uh, uh, from the Pittsburgh area. Kassar had been on city council in uh, Austin and it really uh, led on a number of local issues. Mm-hmm. So that if, if we want to get more of our people in Congress at that level, we should probably be looking more to the people who've already held some office and have a profile um, and, and, you know, have a, a support network. And that's what we saw with Eulene last night where she uh, nearly uh, uh, pushed through. But again, we won't go there until you're ready for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, no, absolutely, John. I agree with you. I think a lot of folks, um, you know, get stuck in 2018 and everybody thinks that they could be AOC. <laughs> and and unfortunately, um, you know, that's they not all the watch that movie and exactly. saw themselves. It's like, and- I could do, I could be that. And I think that's really the case in a lot for a lot of folks, even folks like Ilhan Omar. I mean, Ilhan Omar, remember, she was a state rep before she ever ran for Congress. Exactly. Same thing with Rashida Tlaib out in Michigan. She was a state rep um, before she was ever a member of Congress. And I think that name recognition and yes, an organizer can an organ should should organizers still run. I want you to run. And this is not a discouragement of folks running for office. But to your point, I mean, being able to have, you know, a voting track record, um, being able to have name recognition or, or for your constituents to already know you in another position does, in fact, of course, help you, um, you know. And even when we think about Tiffany Caban, who now, of course, is a member of the New York City Council, you know, when she ran for district attorney, not a lot of people knew who she was. The movement really helped kind of propel her into a place where, you know, she became a real contender to Melinda Katz. And when she lost to Melinda Katz, her profile was high enough that she could immediately get into a race. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's how I believe she was also able to win her New York City Council race. And again, you know, like I said, that's why I tell people run, run and run and run some more. So we're going to take a really quick break, uh, John, because you and me are going to talk about New York 10. And I think this is where you and I are going to really like have to speak some truths, John. Like we sometimes have to be a bit self-reflective of the progressive left um, and progressive candidates and really talk about what happened. Uh, you know, it, it, it New York Absolutely. 10 is just a whole, you know, it, it's just the whole monster of a race on its own that I think it requires its own conversation. So we're going to take a break and come back and talk about what happened in New York 10. up there 
beyond the sky It's been a long, a long time coming But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will Keep telling me don't hang around It's been a long, a long time coming But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will Then I go to my brother Say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. No, there been You were listening to Sam Cook. Change is going to come. I really believe, John, that change is going to come. I really, really do. So for folks who are listening, thank you to all of our listeners here at WBAI. Um, it is 7.31 a.m. here in beautiful New York City, um, my my all-time favorite city, the best city in the whole wide world. It's going to be a, a, a pretty hot day out here today, so hopefully folks are are ready for that. We're coming towards the end of um, summer, um, so I don't know how I'm feeling about that. But let's get back to this these election results from last night. And I really am grateful to have John here with me from the Independent, um, who's really helping me break this down. I wouldn't have been able to do this on my own, John, because my thoughts were really all over the place. Uh, but you've been trying to take me since the beginning of the show to New York 10, uh, and New York 10 was uh, a race here, a congressional race here in New York City uh, that kind of came out of redistricting and that caused an incumbent member of Congress, Mondaire Jones, uh, to, you know, re- obviously it's not his original district. It's a kind of a redrawn district. Um, and then, of course, all of a sudden, 99 people jumped into the race. I'm exaggerating, maybe not 99, but maybe more like 10 folks. And, and, you know, the, the thing I will say about the uh, New York 10, John, is a few of those folks were people that would, I, I would consider to be, um, you know, colleagues and folks that I've worked with on different, you know, levels and some of whom I respect dearly. Um, and I won't say that the choice was hard for me, but 
I will say that, you know, I would have been okay with, uh, you know, at least two or three of them if, if they would have, um, you know, kind of emerged, uh, victorious, uh, in this race. But I'm interested to know from you, uh, how you're feeling about New York 10. If you think it's a done deal, if you think we still got a shot, kind of what you observed in New York 10. Was it what you expected? So I'd love to hear your take on this, John. Sure. Uh, many thoughts at the same time. I mean, uh, in the big picture, uh, we do seem to have landed in the place that uh, so many people feared that uh, Danny Goldman uh, will squeak by and, and buy himself in a seat in Congress while winning less than 30 percent of the vote uh, uh, with his self-funding uh, campaign where he spent at least four million dollars of his uh, family fortune. Uh, on his uh, own behalf. Uh, right now, uh, the Board of Elections unofficial results uh, have uh, Goldman about 1,300 votes ahead of uh, uh, Yulene New, the assemblywoman from uh, Chinatown in Manhattan, uh, the, who is really the prog- the progressive uh, standard mm-hmm. bearer in that race. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Goldman was leading in the polls going into this, and he had the, he got the New York Times endorsement about a week and a half ago, which uh, means a lot in certain uh, uh, mm-hmm. certain parts of that district, um, and, and with all those advantages, he, he is narrowly leading. There are still uh, mail-in votes uh, to be counted. Um, I think uh, the the votes have to have been postmarked by yesterday, but can arrive as late. I think as next Tuesday. Then I think those votes will be counted uh, the next day on Wednesday. Um, so. There are still uh, votes to be counted, votes to that are still arriving, but uh, th- th- this kind of final trickle of ballots rarely uh, changes the outcome of a race, and it it tends to favor uh, the candidate of uh, of the more affluent class of uh, voters because these tend to be the people that might be. Uh, traveling or out of town or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's also possible, uh, I mean, what we see on the West Coast where, you know, mail-in balloting is the main way people vote. Often the left candidates uh, benefit from a surge of late mail-in votes because those votes often come from younger people who trend to the left and maybe have a little bit more uh, chaotic lives and and toss that ballot in at the the last minute. So maybe it could still break uh, toward Eulene, but a 1,300-vote deficit out of the 65,000 votes cast, uh, she's about two points down. It'll it'll be difficult to overcome uh, Goldman's advantage, and that's uh, really unfortunate, of course. And uh, the two other leading candidates in the race, Amandair Jones, he's at about 18 uh, percent, and uh, City Councilwoman Carlina Rivera uh, at about 17 percent, and then uh, Liz Holtzman got about four percent of the vote, and Assemblywoman Joanne Simon out there in uh, Brooklyn got about six percent, and then there were a bunch of sort of uh, very little-known candidates who mm-hmm. you, you got a few votes here and there, um, but. Uh, yeah, you know, in the, the last poll that came out, Eulene was trailing Goldman by five points. And I thought I my feeling was that she had the best chance to catch up with Goldman because she seemed uh, by all appearances to have the strongest uh, uh, grassroots uh, ground game mm-hmm. and could go out and find those uh, voters that she needed and, and, and get to them to the polls on the fourth Tuesday in August when a lot of people aren't thinking about politics and uh you know, she came close, uh, you know, she had a tremendous uh, volunteer base. I mean, you supported that camp campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, both, uh, 
pressed by the campaign she ran, but of course it's uh, going to be bittersweet if, if she loses in the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the question here, John, is uh, yes, Dan Goldman, you know, is obviously leading by 1300 points. But, you know, when you look at the kind of larger picture here and you kind of as you kind of laid out, you know, the percentage points, the bottom line. And you said this earlier that here's a man who put his own four million dollars at that none of those other candidates have. Um, and especially not the folks of color who are um, running in that race, including Carlina Mondaire, um, who are, you know, kind of trailing right behind Yulene. The bottom line here is that the guy got 30 percent of the vote, a little less than 30 percent of the vote. And twenty five point seven, twenty five point seven. So a quarter of, of the vote. Uh, so the, 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 the real issue here is that. This was another slip away from progressives because, yes, while Yulene was, in fact, absolutely the most progressive in that race, um, for sure, you know, hands down. There were other decent people, uh, candidates uh, in that race. And my thing, for example, is and I don't know if, you know, who who should have been who have should have who should have said to themselves two weeks out. You know what? This is not looking good. And this guy, Dan Goldman, is about to buy this election. And we really are out here for the issues and we are out here for the people. So somebody really had to sit down with themselves and say, I need to bow out. And I need to put my whatever resources I have behind somebody so we could defeat Dan Goldman. Do you think that there was someone in that race that should have been the most poised to do that? Or do you think that this was just how it was going to be? I mean, I think two weeks out, the the, the train wreck was already uh, uh, too far in motion to stop. And, uh, you know, for a candidate that's running, a, you know, a credible race, you think of all the uh, time and energy they put in uh, to uh, soliciting uh, donations from their supporters, their vol- having their volunteers go out and work for them. And, of course, their own ambition that they're, uh, you know, stoking. Um, it's very hard to uh, turn away at the last moment when you think at least you have a, a gambler's chance of, of winning. Um, you know, the only candidate who dropped out uh, was Bill de Blasio because uh, he was doing so poorly um, and, and didn't want to have the humiliation of, uh, you know, a terrible yeah, I wasn't show. Gonna let, I wasn't going to let that one happen, John. That <laughs> one was not going to happen. I mean, I helped. I helped crush his presidential aspirations in Detroit and which will probably be the highlight of my career. <laughs> During the DNC convention, uh, excuse me, the DNC debates, mm-hmm. I went all the way to Detroit and somehow got invited and had an actual ticket to get into those debates. Mm-hmm. And he stood on that stage and we chanted fire Pantaleo as he stood up, stood up there and lied to the American people about how he was a champion of police reform. And I was like, nope, your presidential aspirations end today. And thank God, just a few days after that, he was like, yeah, this might not be the thing that I'm going to do. So, yeah, Bill de Blasio um, was not ever going to be a member of Congress. That's for sure. I, I mean, I agree. But, but uh, just yeah, to finish my mm-hmm. the other part of my answer. So while the train wreck was, uh, I think, unavoidable two weeks out, I think the person uh, who should have never jumped in and who really, I think, is uh, the goat of, of not only one defeat yesterday, but two is Mondaire Jones. I mean, mm. We're going to be like honest here. He should have stayed in his district, uh, uh, NY 17 up there in Westchester and Rockland County, where he 
won a decisive victory two years ago. Uh, I mean, he defeated uh, a f- won a field of seven in the primary by over 20 points. He mm-hmm. won the general election and has been a very uh, a highly acclaimed first term congressperson, sort of positioned himself as squad adjacent, but also mm-hmm. friendly with the leadership and mm-hmm. seen as a very productive member of Congress and very a charismatic campaigner. And, you know, he got run through the redistricting buzzsaw and ended up in a situation. Uh, and I would say, uh, of course, Sean Patrick Maloney, absolutely atrocious behavior. We can get into that a little bit if you want. Mm-hmm. But uh, Maloney uh, hopped into John Mondaire's district a- after that redistricting shuffle happened. The new New York 17 had uh, uh, 73% of the voters were people who had been in, in Mondaire's district the previous cycle and 27% uh, were brought over from Maloney's uh, district. And Maloney hopped into that district because he saw a, a slight advantage in the, the profile of voters is slightly more democratic there. But uh, Mondaire uh, ducked that fight. Uh, you know, well, Maloney, why do you think, do you think it's because he didn't want to get run against Maloney? Like, Oh why? yeah. Oh, yeah, that was it. He just didn't want to have to go up against Maloney. Yeah. Maloney is uh, one of the key allies of Nancy Pelosi and and that whole leadership crew, uh, Pelosi, Clyburn, Hoyer. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's the head of this cycle of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC. Mm -hmm. And and the DCCC essentially is a giant uh, money laundering operation. Yes. (laughs) Where. you know, the, the corporate Democrats bring in vast sums of money uh, from well-heeled donors, especially Wall Street. And, and Maloney is very close uh, with a uh, Wall Street donor class. That's a big reason he has that position. So, uh, you know, he's it, I mean, Pelosi tapped him for that position. I mean, it says a lot. He's a very trusted person and sort of the inner mm-hmm. uh, circle of leadership in the House. Uh, and uh, so if Mondaire uh, had stood his ground and fought it out with Maloney, uh, he would have been uh, facing, obviously, a giant money machine. Uh, but I think progressive forces really would have really uh, rallied around Mondaire if he had fought for his district and against uh, Maloney. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Maloney is like kind of the epitome of the the kind of sleazy, big, smarmy, big money Democrat. Mm-hmm. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Rahm Emanuel. He's a very arrogant mm-hmm. individual yes. as, as well. Uh, and uh, he has won, uh, I, I think, uh, five terms up in the Hudson Valley. He has been effective in winning uh, his swing district up there. So, uh, you know, a for- formidable politician in his own way. But Mondaire is a powerhouse, too. And mm-hmm. I think if he had stood his ground there, you know, I think it would have galvanized a lot of people on the left, like in terms of being able to raise money online. And mm-hmm. and and of course, you know, Mondaire, 35 year old gay black man, like uh, really a face of a, a of a more prog- diverse, progressive future for the Democratic Party. So I think he could have galvanized a lot of support. But so uh, do you think, John, it was it was it was it was Mondaire and his team kind of taking all these factors in that you listed here? Or do you actually think it's deeper than that, that that maybe Nancy Pelosi was like, listen, Mondaire, like, go over there and we'll we'll drop you a couple of dollars. And I think you could really do well. I mean, you still, as you said, he still kind of fits those demographics and he kind of brings diversity to the race. He's already someone with some, 
name recognition, although he had, he would have had more name recognition if he ran in New York 17. But do you think that, that there were like the, the kind of party bosses and party leadership also helped convince him that not to run? Or do you think he really just sat and analyzed it based on the factors that you listed? I, I think it's all of that. And I, yeah, definitely. He, he got Nancy Pelosi's endorsement in this race. <laughs> he had that on all his mm-hmm. uh, materials, uh, you know, for sort of the normie Democrats that love Nancy Pelosi in, 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 in his new district. Um, and I, I'm sure he was also told that, you know, if he, uh, d- you know, ran and defeated, uh, uh, Maloney in a primary, he would, uh, uh, be a pariah to the house leadership. He would be in the doghouse for many years to come. And, and I'm sure they also told him that if you uh, go up against Maloney and lose and Maloney goes on to lose in the general election, because that, that district could swing either way uh, in the fall. If Maloney ultimately loses, we'll blame you for primarying uh, Maloney. So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure the leadership, uh, you know, both used a, a, a mixture of carrots and sticks to get mm-hmm. Mondaire to uh, abandon that district. Um, also, uh, Mondaire, uh, you know, I think he had been aware of, you know, the, these politicians, it's their careers. They're very uh, attuned to what goes on around uh, redistricting and the drawing of lines, uh, which normally is handled by the state legislature until in this year when the courts took it over. But uh, I think he had also been expecting that he might be uh, shuffled into a situation where he might uh, have to go up against Jamal, Jamal Bowman in the adjacent district, um, mm. in New York 16. And, uh, uh, from what I've read, uh, after these final lines came down and, and Maloney, uh, uh, bigfooted his way into his district, that Mondaire Jones, uh, uh, did some polling of Bowman's district to see if he could run against Bowman. But the, the polling numbers he got, uh, showed, uh, that he would, uh, lose to Bowman. And of course, if he had run against Bowman, um, you that know, would have been a disaster. That would have been a disaster for sure. And that, and, 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 and when the first whiff of that possibility came up, uh, I mean, all of the squad members, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, like the, the, you know, groups like Justice Democrats and others, uh, rapidly and, uh, reaffirmed their support for Bowman. So Jones would have been going up against a, you know, united, left front for um bowman and would it just it would have looked terrible and it also would have created the possibility that those two could have knocked each other out and a third more conservative candidate in that district could have uh, carried that district so mm-hmm. mondaire to his credit wanted ultimately wanted nothing to do with that scenario so thank goodness for that mm-hmm. but instead of you know, standing and fighting it out in his his district that he won. And in uh, only two years ago, he, uh, you know, uh, packed his bags and and uh, moved uh, down to New York 10, uh, uh, rented a place over in Carroll Gardens and, you know, uh, launched his campaign. And he did have several million dollars in his war chest. I mean, he had been you know, he is a proli- fairly prolific fundraiser himself. Um, and so I think he felt, OK, I've got this war chest. I can, you know, I've got some name recognition and, and, and I think he had expected to have, um, the support of maybe groups like the Working Families Party. I think he was really banking on getting that New York Times endorsement. Mm. And, but so some of his calculations, uh, uh, did not pan out. And he ultimately, uh, after spending, you know, his millions of dollars, uh, and, 
second only to Goldman in this race. Uh, he got 18%, but that 18% is obviously just absolutely wasted votes now. And, yep. uh, and, and really provides the margin of difference. I mean, I can't really blame for Car- Carlina for being in the race. I, I'm not as a, a huge fan of hers, but, um, you know, she's, uh, has a track record as a public official in lower Manhattan. And uh, she did have a very uh, broad coalition of local support. Uh, uh, Nydia Velasquez, uh, a number of city council members, SEIU uh, backed her. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's just really, I think, I mean, if we're just being brutally honest this morning. Mondaire should have stayed and fought it out in his district. Cause what happened, Maloney bigfooted his way into that district uh, Alessandra Biaggi, one of the uh, really dynamic young mm-hmm. state senators in Albany, uh, she uh, was looking to run in another congressional race where that seat got shredded by redistricting. And, and she jumped into the Maloney race, trying to sort of leverage the outrage over what Maloney uh, did mm-hmm. uh, to jump into that district and, 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 and uh, you know, also fought uh, ideological battle, you know, uh, mm-hmm tagging Maloney as, as sort of the, uh, you know, quintessential uh, corporate Democrat um, and ran to his left. But, uh, you know, she lost uh, by 30 points last night. And I think she also ran into that dynamic of voters in that district being like, well, you know, we think uh, Maloney has a better chance of winning in the fall. So we might, right. we, we like you, but, you know, but she also was in a situation where she was just introducing herself to voters and she was badly outspent by Maloney. So the person who could have the progressive candidate who really could have held that district was Mondaire, but he he fled. And That's this is right. it's really unfortunate. But I, but more than just, you know, focusing on the candidates and their, you know, foibles or whatever, uh, you know, we also need to think about the progressive organizations that back these candidates um, why they couldn't achieve, you know, more consolidation in this race. And also, um, we need to think about some of the high profile people who stayed away from this race. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, three, uh, come to mind in particular. Uh, one, uh, on the national level, there's, uh, I think, Elizabeth Warren, in part because Yulene New was a passionate supporter of Warren in the 2020, uh, presidential oh primary. she was because i was on bernie t- i was yes. on the bernie team and we had this whole conversation john mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who else yeah well, so warren i think issued an endorsement maybe yesterday i heard something about that but what is the point of these like last minute 24 no hours? point at all john no point yeah. at all point, <laughs> and maybe it's like to check a box and say i you know i i did endorse this person but it, 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 no no real value in that mm-hmm. um and uh uh, and and I think Warren, you know, has a strong uh, pockets of support, especially out in uh, uh, places like Park Slope, mm-hmm. uh, where that endorsement, if it had come earlier, would have been very helpful. You know, I think you, um, of all the candidates, uh, Yulene's uh, politics are the um, closest to Bernie, but uh, he didn't in, in, engage with the race. Of course, again, Yulene <laughs> supported his rival, Elizabeth Warren, two years ago. So that uh, what I've noticed <laughs> is Bernie tends to endorse the candidates to supported uh his uh presidential run i mean and yeah, uh that's that's, um, that's that's pretty accurate yeah it's, i think it, his attitude is like well if you didn't believe in my you know my vision of the country why would you come to me for an endorsement mm-hmm. so um but 
whereas obviously Eulene uh, uh, very passionately believed in Warren, but Warren was basically nowhere to be found. And then I think also, uh, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, where was she? Yep. I think, I mean, I think the squad members were in a situation, as you said, you know, Mondaire was kind of adjacent to them on many issues um, and, and, or at least supportive on many issues. I mean, for me, Mondaire's issue has always been that he's horrible on foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, and, and for a pretty progressive on domestic issues, but when it comes to foreign policy, especially on Israel, Palestine, as you know, um, not exactly, a, not exactly a champion of human rights. So, you know, for the squad, I think they were able to count on him as an ally on all, most of their domestic issues. I would say majority of their domestic issues that they've championed. So I felt, I feel like maybe that was it. They actually maybe thought he had a chance. I mean, they don't know New York City politics like we do. And I think AOC, I mean, Mondaire is her colleague. And I think that's where things get messy when your colleague is running in a race. And then you also have your friends running in the race. And it was yeah, messy. That, I mean, that's a big problem. And I, this whole thing. Uh, where where people get in office and, and their personal relationships that's right end out up outweighing what should be their you know allegiances to, you know to the movements as it were um 100%. And, and we definitely saw that and i think aoc also saw it as a no uh, a no win proposition yeah because basically like so, uh, someone like mondaire jones uh, it, thinking about it another way he's essentially a co-worker in your office so yeah a co-worker in your office is trying to get a promotion and you <laughs> you know uh speak out against them uh if you may have to work with them in the future and you're, you're now going to have a an enemy on your hands but totally. yeah i have a real quick question um just because i'm curious john let's just say that joanne simon at some point was like you know what i got this pretty you know secure seat in the legislator, mm-hmm. uh, who do you think that her voters would have went to? You know, I, I don't, I, my impression is she, she may have bled voters from uh, Daniel Goldman. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. She represents a, a fairly affluent uh, district mm-hmm. out there. Uh, I don't really think of her as uh, particularly left in any way. No, so, and, a nice and, lady. I like her. She's a nice lady, mm-hmm. but not, not definitely not a lefty. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so she may have, uh, done, uh, uh, done us a favor and, uh, you know, uh, sucked mm-hmm. a few votes away from Goldman. Yeah, no, you, you listen, I, I, I mean, I, I wanted to hear that from you, John. Um, the, the, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I think to your point, I mean, the real question that I want to leave everybody with, and I hope, you know, is that, as you said, there's, there's got to be a time, and we saw this in the New York City mayoral race, there got, has to be a time where our progressive unions, our progressive organizations, our progressive leaders have to at some point say to themselves, listen, we have to consolidate for the movement, for the people, for the issues versus dividing up our, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes scarce resources in comparison to the opposition to to support three, four candidates when we could then be putting them all behind one or two candidates and in hopes that one of those two candidates really it should be one. But I'll give them two, especially mm-hmm. in a race with, that's a 10 way race that could have beat somebody like Dan Goldman. You know, we could have we could have we could have took the mayoralship in New York City if our progressive movements had would have gotten it together earlier on um, in, 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 in the in the race. So I'll just, you know, you know, leave folks with that, I think our progressive movements have a lot of self-reflection. I hope that New York 10 was an opportunity to reflect. Um, 
I, again, you know, I still have hope. I'm one of those people, an, an endless uh, optimist that something outlandish could happen or, you know, in a positive way where Yulene can squeak out with some mail-in ballots. You never know. Uh, thank you, John. I really appreciated having this conversation and I hope to have you on what's going on with Linda Sarsour in the future to talk about New York City politics. You are brilliant and we appreciate all your work uh, and, and all your truth telling. And thank we you. will be back. I will be back uh, next Wednesday here on WBAI. Remember to go support us, WBAI.org. We need some more buddies or you won't be hearing people like me and John on the air. So thank you, everyone. Talk to you next week.